0: Kill her, Mommy. Kill her. Don't let her get away, Mommy. Don't let her live. I won't, Jason. I won't. For my vacation I went to uh Longhorn Stankhouse and had Stankhouse blooming- <laughs> oh, Stank Stank and had a blooming onion all to myself and then I felt like shit after I ate it. That was my vacation.
1: Did you miss his doubt fire that blooming onion, Joy?
0: Wait, did I catch my tits on fire? <laughs> Is that what you're talking about?
1: I was thinking more of like a face plant, but sure.
0: Oh, sure. Fuck. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Just got
2: grease dripping <laughs> off of his fucking face. <laughs> fucking onion sauce and shit. Or whatever the onion
0: onion tendrils hanging from my face.
1: Well, that does sound like a delicious time, though, Joy.
2: Welcome to the Horrible Film School, a safe place to watch scary movies. I'm Chris, joined today by my fellow horribles, Mr.
1: Hootie. What's up, everybody? Let's talk about a deformed child
2: and Professor Joe. Howdy ho! Heavy spoiler head, as we chop up 1980's Friday the 13th to celebrate this first Friday the 13th in this podcast's infancy. Today's lesson, how to choose that perfect summer
1: job. Alright fellas, Friday the 13th, 1980. Let me sum this up as shortly and briefly as I can. It's 1980, the sun is out and the Daisy Dukes are plentiful. What better way to spend your summer break during high school than by working at an old haunted campground, looking after rich kids being dropped off by their parents. However, at Camp Crystal Lake, the kids never have time to arrive because the mysterious killer will soon begin to pick each camp counselor off one by one until the campground is once again shut down for good. All right, so with that, let's get a little bit of the cast and crew. Fry the... Friday the 13th was directed by Sean S. Cunningham. You might know him, or you probably wouldn't, for wouldn't. Deep Star <laughs> for Deep Star 6, or Terminal Invasion, which I only bring up because it is starred by Bruce Campbell.
0: Friday the 13th Part 1 is actually his baby, but he actually had his fingers in a few other uh, Jason franchise sequels. Um, he was the producer of Jason Goes to Hell, My all-time favorite Jason movie, Jason X, Jason vs. Freddy, 2009 reboot, and a producer on the Friday the 13th game released in 2017, as well as producer on the uh, remake of Last House on the
1: Left. Next up, we have a guy who I have a very big beef with, is the writer Victor Miller, who you probably, again, will not know because he's best known for being the head writer on All My Children and General Hospital. You're welcome. Yes.
0: And, <laughs> and I don't really I have say, any comment on that.
1: I say beef because this man is quoted as saying he hasn't seen any of the other Friday the 13th films because he does not approve of Jason Voorhees being the killer rather than Jason's mother as she was... The original. So to get into the cast here, Alice is played by Adrian King, who also appeared in Saturday Night Fever and Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3. Now, Adrian King has a bit of a strange aftermath after this film. Uh, Well, first of all, Cunningham noticed Adrian in a Burger King commercial and knew that she had the qualities of of the film's lead heroine. So he offered her the role. I question you guys. What was that Burger King commercial all about?
2: It wasn't about the new chicken sandwich because that thing is fucking banging. I will say that for Burger King. Yo,
0: that shit is so fucking good, bro. Where do they find <laughs> is pickles that it called? The be? McKing?
2: The Cha-Ching, the bruh. No, not
0: cha-ching. the Cha-Ching, you idiot. The I don't cha-ching. know what the fuck
2: it's called. I just eat it.
1: After the success of Friday the 13th, Adrian was pursued by a male stalker who managed to learn areas she frequented, where she exercised, and ate lunch. The man took Polaroid photographs of King, and on one occasion even confronted her in her apartment and held a gun to her head. This assailant was apprehended and spent some time imprisoned, thank God, but the incident traumatized King, prompting her to leave the public eye and do stunt work. She would later move to London and work predominantly as a voiceover actress. Next up, we have Bill, who was played by Harry Crosby, who is the son of Bing Crosby and became an investment banker in 1985 and quit acting.
0: We're going to see a lot of these cast members that this was the highlight uh, of their careers as actors and actresses.
1: It's really interesting. It's like a strange aftermath of this film, even though it was so successful. Next up, Marcy, played by Janine Taylor. She is predominantly a stage actress, and she appeared in a 2013 documentary called Crystal Lake Memories, the complete history of the Friday the 13th. Brenda is played by Laurie Bartram. She stopped acting after this movie was released in 1980, became a born-again Christian, and went on to study at Liberty University near our hometown and would appear on local TV commercials in Lynchburg, Virginia. Mrs. Voorhees is played by Betsy Palmer, who you probably will not know once again because she was in The True Story of Lynn Stewart and dated James Dean.
0: She was a big, like, TV actress from what I could surmise... uh, She's done spots on like The Love Boat, Chips, As the World Turns, Murder, She Wrote, T.J. Hooker. Um, and unfortunately, Miss Palmer also passed away in 2015.
1: She was also quoted in a documentary about this film saying that she wanted a new car. And that's why she took the role when her agent offered it to her.
0: Did you hear the the weird little fact about how they offered all the cast members either we can pay you for the movie... Or we can offer you royalties. All the actors being super young and naive and just thinking, hey, this is another slasher film that isn't going to do Jack shit. Obviously, took the money.
1: And last but certainly not least is Jack, played by Kevin Bacon.
0: Holy shit. Here here we we go. Hootie, I'm stepping in. I'm taking over. Take over. Mr. Big Dick himself, the legend, the goat, the heavy hitter of the film. I fucking love me some Kevin Bacon. Uh, I'm probably going to need an inhaler after this one, but here we go. You got Animal House, Footloose, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Tremors, A Few Good Men, The Air Up There, Apollo 13, Sleepers, Wild Things, Stir of Echoes, Hollow Man, Mystic River, X-Men First Class, Black Mass, just to name a few. And that is just a few... Of the many films he's credited for, the guy's acting royalty, and we're going to have to treat him as such. If you don't like Kevin Bacon, then fuck you!
1: I've seen all this. I don't remember him in plane, trains, and automobiles.
0: Yeah, he was like a taxi cab driver in that.
1: In a recent interview with Robert England, he thinks Bacon can be the perfect actor to carry on the Freddy Krueger role if he would want it.
2: And he would not.
1: That seems a little random. Robert England is 74. Kevin Bacon is 63. They're both fucking old. Why would-
2: <laughs> Kevin Bacon still looks like he's in his late 40s, though. I don't know if he moves like it, though. Jesus. He's in his 60s? Are you fucking serious?
0: Also, I want to throw a special shout-out to uh, Tom Savini, uh, actor, special effects wizard, stuntman, director. He handled the uh, makeup effects on the film. He did an absolutely wonderful job. In in the small capacity, they actually were able to use him. Um, The death sequences were great, super believable, super realistic. Um, Actually, his list of credits probably dwarfs Kevin Bacon. Um, So I just throw a few notables out there. Special effects on Dawn of the Dead, Creepshow 2, makeup on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Creepshow 1, directed Night of the Living Dead. Uh, As an actor, you're going to know him from roles... uh, like in 1978's Dawn of the Dead, from *Dust to Dawn, 2004's Dawn of the Dead remake, Planet Terror, Zack and Miri Machete, Machete Kills, uh, Django Unchained. The dudes put in work, and uh, we can't thank them enough for it.
1: Sex machine. You suck my blood! The budget for Friday the 13th was 550000 and it made $59.8
2: I want 550000 In
1: 1980, of the 17 films distributed by Paramount, only one returned more profits than Friday the 13th. Can you name that film? The Shining. Congo. The Shining is actually a very good answer. The Congo is definitely not a good answer. Uh, it's Airplane.
0: Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley.
1: Jason's appearance at the end of the film was not originally in the script that part was suggested by makeup designer Joey Tom Savani Savani stated that the whole reason for the cliffhanger at the end was I had just seen Carrie so we thought that we needed a chair jumper like that and I said let's bring in Jason
2: a chair jumper I wonder if that's what they used to call jump scares I kind of like that You can't say that better.
0: word anymore, so you need to stop. Some of that Jim
2: Crow shit.
1: So, just once again, bringing in the writer's point here, uh, Victor Miller has stated he was unhappy about the filmmaker's decision to make Jason Voorhees the killer in the sequels. Quote, Jason was dead from the very beginning. He was a victim, not a villain. The producers originally wanted Sally Field's the role of Alice. The flying nun? But realized that they could not afford an established high-profile actress and casted Adrian King instead.
0: Boy, your mama sure cares about your education.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The film was shot in Warren County, New Jersey in September 1979. The camp scenes were shot on a working Boy Scout camp called Camp... I'm going to slaughter this. No be bosco. <laughs> no be bo,
2: No be bosco. No be bo,
1: No be bo, The camp is still standing and still operates as a summer camp. Harry Manfredini, hope that's correct, created the score and came up with the sound ki 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 ma ma ma. From the final reel, when Mrs. Voorhees arrives and is reciting Kill Her Mommy, the key comes from kill, and the ma comes from mommy.
2: Kill her mommy! Kill her mommy!
1: The film was not critically well received. The most notorious review being from Gene Siskel, which I'm assuming is Siskel and Ebert. Not positive. Who, in his review, called Cunningham one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. Last note before joy rocks our world. This movie was nominated at the first annual Golden Raspberry Awards for worst picture of 1980. I think it
0: won. Did it win? It did not win. Oh, it did win. Okay, I thought. I know what won, but it did. didn't. originally the movie was going to be called Long Night at Camp Blood. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way Friday the 13th does. Here's the fucking monster fact. Jason was originally supposed to be named Josh. Josh Voorhees. <laughs> Welcome to Chili's. My name is Josh Voorhees and I'll be your server tonight. How scary is the name Jason? And how pussyfied is the name Josh? <laughs>
1: So bad from Josh who are listening to the show <laughs> right now. <laughs> Josh
0: is the killer.
1: Josh goes down. And hell. his name...
2: <laughs> no, Josh, please don't stab me with that fucking ice pit. Josh, no!
1: I had a son and his name was Josh.
0: <laughs> Man, he sounds like a real pussy.
2: <laughs> oh, Josh versus Freddy. That just sounds like the worst fucking title. <laughs>
1: That's like a white dude versus Freddy Krueger. (laughs)
2: Like that fucking dude, like the Drake and Josh kid. I just imagine him on the poster with Freddy Krueger.
1: (laughs) With this movie being nominated for a golden raspberry, let's get into it. The film opens in 1958 with the creepy campfire rendition of both Hallelujah and Tom Dooley. Two camp counselors go off by themselves to have a, a little fun in the attic.
0: What is it about these type of movies where there's always like a campfire or they're not like an actual camp? Every white person knows how to play the fucking guitar. Like one person will play it and put it down, and somebody else will pick it up and just start perfectly playing something.
2: I loved how they were singing this, "Hallelujah,"
1: making this eye contact, and this guy's like,
2: "I'm about to get some pussy."
1: A killer appears and murders them both in the art of making love. However, the scene is shot from a POV perspective, and we have no idea who the killer is.
0: I really enjoyed that they went this route, having you guess the whole time, who is the killer, who is the killer. Actually, I think it's Tom, Tom Savini. This perspective was him, like he was the cameraman for this uh, part of the movie.
2: So was this the first movie they really leaned into like the POV camera work like this?
1: Miller in a documentary. The writer literally talks about how he copied, like trope for trope, from the original Halloween.
0: Oh yeah, that's a big that's a big hanging up for this movie. I think your um, your uh, Siskel review probably is in reference to that, is of how this movie is just a rip off of Halloween. That's what it's really what it is. Good take. Yeah.
2: So every every time we see the shaky cam POV, we're supposed to be led that we're looking through the eyes of a character, right? Yeah. Because we see yeah. it in, like, some really awkward hiding places. Like, wide fucking open. People running up within, like, a foot of the camera and then walking in the other direction. I'm like, what kind of fucking hiding skills does this person have?
0: This first killer scene as well has a, a funny little moment in it. This movie doesn't really have very much comic relief. However, for me, this is really funny. Um, the girl, she just, she just seen her boyfriend get gut stabbed. And her defense is to start throwing empty boxes and spools... Of, uh, of various objects that have no weight at all at the killer there was actually a tire in the scene I think she would have had better luck just rolling the tire towards the killer
1: the film moves to the present day 1980 on Friday the 13th with Annie coming into town and asking locals for directions to Camp Crystal Lake one kind trucker leaves breakfast in order to drive her halfway to the camp A local named Ralph warns Annie about the dangers of the camp and that it is where she will die. Joey, what do you got? You're going to Camp
0: Blood, ain't you? You'll never come back again. It's got a death curse.
1: On the way, the truck driver tells Annie to quit and quit now because the camp is jinxed. He informs her of the two kids murdered in '58 and the kid who drowned in 57. The camp is reopened because her boss bought it in order to fix it up and make a profit.
0: Yeah, I heard this guy named uh, Josh drowned in the fucking lake, bro. Yeah, good riddance.
2: I was kind of creeped out by this whole scene with her riding in the truck with this guy because he was way too, like, why don't you come hop in my truck? And she's like, ah, oh, okay. I guess it's a different Well, the time.
0: 80s were different times, man. People were I, just a little I'm, bit more I'll late. give you
2: that, but still...
0: Well, there's actually, if you watch, when he pushes her into, the, or helps her into the truck, he grabs her ass. Yep. Yeah, he, he gets a few, he cops a few. I wonder how many times he fucked up on purpose on that scene, just to, like, keep re, Hey, he, uh, keep
2: Sean, can we, can we get that again? I wasn't fucking feeling it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I felt
1: it that time. Oh.
2: <laughs> oh, God, he's chubbed up. Cut. God damn it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Three camp counselors arrive early, including Jack played by Kevin Bacon. We are also introduced to Alice and Steve, the owner, who is shirtless and is in Daisy Dukes.
0: I'm going to tell you what, man. Steven is wearing this pair of Daisy Dukes. This pair of Daisy Dukes would make both the damn Duke boys cream their pants, if you know what I'm
2: saying. Even Rin McCormick, man, with his cut-off denims, damn dick throbbing out, it was... <laughs> Jeez.
0: You see the kind of bend he gets when he's chopping that fucking like log, or no, that it's a stump, <laughs> right? Dude, he is like getting so low, his pelvic floor, his pelvic floor is literally almost touching the ground.
1: Pelvic floor. The ratio of Daisy Dukes to like chest and stomach hair was just like too much for me, man.
0: Hey, don't forget his scarf too. Yeah, or no, it was a handkerchief. What's that shit? That the one guy from Scooby Doo wore ascot.
1: Fred Rogers ascot. Steve leaves the camp in a gorgeous vintage Jeep. Me being a Jeep owner, I saw that as beautiful. And he leaves the counselors to do their own thing. A person picks up Annie in the exact same Jeep that Steve was driving in hopes of taking her finally to this Camp Crystal Lake. They end up in the woods, and the driver of the Jeep cuts Annie's throat.
2: I'm guessing they want you to believe that the guy was the killer, right? There were so many, like, allusions to red herrings throughout this. Like, you want to assume it's the owner that picked her up
1: and went and killed her. Back at camp, while the owner is away, the counselors will play. Everyone is swimming in the lake until Ned fakes like he is drowning in order to pull a joke on everyone. Such a funny guy.
0: Pulled the old sandlot on him, huh? Dude, Kevin Bacon in the Speedo has his dick resting on the top of this one guy's head, bro. The camera literally pans up and stops right on his crotch. And you can see this bulge. Yep, There's a bulge. It's like wrapped around his leg like a goddamn python. Also in this scene, the writers, they uh, ask us a, a super existential question. So, Chris, if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be?
2: Cookies and cream.
0: Hootie?
1: Peanut butter chocolate.
0: Me? I'd be Fudge Ripple.
1: Alice is back in her cabin and freaking out about a snake being in her room. She calls everyone to take care of it, then eventually kills a real snake. I don't like snakes, but the fact they killed a real one is kind of fucked
0: up. That made me like kind of uncomfortable they did that. Because you can see where the snake was like actually recoiling when they chopped its head off and then they chopped it again and it was kind of it had shades of cannibal holocaust type shit not as not anywhere near as bad but definitely shades of it
2: i think this is another one of those red herring moments where they were showing you just like how crazy this dude was getting with the machete because they like held on his face after the fact after he had killed the snake like it could be him to which i rolled my fucking eyes You give me the red herring with the guy who bought the camp with his Jeep then this guy chopping up shit with machetes. I'm like, you got to earn some of these, man. You can't just keep fucking
1: spamming them at me. Ralph shows up again, this time in the pantry closet of the camp's mess hall to once again tell everyone that they are doomed at this place. I was sent from God to warn you. How did he get into the pantry closet? Like He just pops up out of nowhere.
0: Here's another question. How the fuck did he navigate these mountainous trails on that damn street bike of his?
1: Ned sees a person walk into one of the cabins and goes after them thinking they may need help. Jack and Marcy, meanwhile, also go check out an empty cabin, only they are there for sex. She cannot get her
0: shirt off fast enough, bro. She pulls her pants off before, damn, Kevin Bacon even comes in the door.
1: She sees it and a condom, man. She needs it.
2: Kevin Bacon's ass cheek got a close-up in the sex scene.
1: The amount of sexuality that you guys watch with horror films is, uh, is impressive.
2: The I camera was two inches away from his ass.
1: How often do you see that in a movie?
2: <laughs> a man's ass with a woman's hand just gripping it.
1: Apparently I see it a lot because it was white noise to me. I
2: was like, the camera's not even moving. This isn't even like a kinetic shot. They're not trying to like make us feel what's going on. They're just like,
1: look at his ass real quick. He's added nothing to the scene. So to Chris's point, a strangely shot sex scene ensues, and we find out that they went into the cabin as Ned's dead body is in the top bunk above them. Although neither Jack or Marcy see it, which is like just...
0: It's called pussy blindness, Hootie. Whenever there's a fucking fresh piece in front of you, sometimes it happens.
2: I'm gonna write that damn
1: pussy blindness. To a dead body? To a corpse? That's like three feet above you? Like,
0: scoot over, Ned, I'm about to get up in it.
1: At least I know that if I ever become a dead corpse beside Joy about to get some, that I'd just be pushed to the side. Shit, I'm gonna use you (laughs) for leverage. Oh, shit, let's call the ambulance right after this. During this awkward sex scene, the other camp counselors, Bill, Alice, and Brenda, are playing strip Monopoly. You know, the classic way to play Monopoly. I fucking hate Monopoly.
0: Dude, I cannot stand that shit, dude. I'd rather burn my fucking dick off with of a hot iron poker.
1: I have a lot of questions on how strip Monopoly works. How do you strip to Monopoly? How does regular fucking Monopoly work? Because I still don't know because I fucking I hate just,
0: it. Fuck, man, I'm right there with you, bro. <laughs> it's
1: all about equity and mortgages I and you know, exactly. shit. It sounds fucking incredible.
0: Um, if you pay attention to the actual rolls of the dice in the movie and the numbers they're calling out, this lady's just calling out bullshit. She's like, double sixes, I get to go again. If you watch it, she rolls a fucking three.
1: Marcy leaves Jack alone in the cabin. In order to go pee, Jack meets his doom with an arrow through the throat.
0: Stabs it right through the bottom of the fucking bed, dude. That arrow was almost as big as that monstrous cock.
2: This is a pretty fucking fierce death, man. Like the hand around, grab the head straight up through the fucking throat. And again, having been spoiled to the ending, this fucking POV killer is OP, dog. I'm
1: sorry. That scene, thanks to Tom Savani, was done with uh, Kevin Bacon's head on top of a prosthetic body, and he obviously put the arrow through his neck. But they used sheep's blood, like actual sheep's blood, and he had created this device that would squirt the blood through the neck. Only the bearing on that device broke, and he had to squirt the blood with his mouth. And he apparently came up from under the bed covered in sheep's blood.
0: Just another story of Tom Savani being a fucking ruin. one.
1: While in the bathroom, Marsh, Marcy is freshening up in her underwear, of course. She hears someone walking around and checks it out. She is met with an axe to the skull.
0: Here is a prime thing to live by when it comes to horror films. Whatever you do... Never take a shit in a horror movie. He who takes a shit, gets slit.
2: This movie just really like took every perversion that we'd seen in horror to this point and just did it to fucking 11.
1: Back at Strip Monopoly, again, great game, only Brenda is almost nude. However, she leaves in order to put up her windows in her cabin because it begins to rain. And she could not get fucking dressed before she went outside? We learn that Steve is stuck on the side side of the road and cannot make it back to camp. Shocker, it's a jeep. He gets a lift from a local police officer. Brenda lays down for the night, but here's a woman outside yelling for help. She goes out into the darkness. With a very weak flashlight, laughably weak, she wanders into the archery range and becomes the prime target. Goodbye, Brenda, I had a question. She's laying in bed reading the book, and she hears a woman, we'll find out later who it is, yelling for help. But it feels like she runs like a football field to the archery range.
0: Well, we, we hear the voice several times while she's walking as well. It's not just that one time. And I think it actually, okay. we find out it is a woman doing it. However, I think they kind of voice it where it sounds like a kid, like a camper.
1: Alice and Billy find a bloody axe in one of the beds and realize something is not right. They begin to search the campground cabins to find out the issue. The police officer has to respond to a car wreck, needing the jaws of life. I like how they had to put that in there. So he drops off Steve at the head of the campground.
0: It's also in this scene... Uh, while he, while Steve's in the car with the police officer that we find out that today's date in the movie actually is Friday the 13th. And um, he discusses the phenomenon of how, you know, it's Friday the 13th, it's a full moon, it, people are a lot more violent during a full moon, there's a lot more murders, rapes, uh, robbings, stuff like that,
1: so... Steve soon is killed by being stabbed in the stomach. Although we learned that Steve recognized the killer before he met his doom.
0: It was Josh all along.
2: And this was like the POV walk up in the woods, like the Blair Witch shot, right? Like, ah, oh, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that oh, was very please. I thought that was such a lazy death scene, man. I almost forgot about it until you reminded me there.
0: I feel like this movie really missed out on its potential with the death scenes, man. Like, I mean, you got like a fucking savant like Tom Savini in there and half of your death scenes are literally off camera. It's not really building suspense. I, I, I go to a slasher movie to see those kind of gory kills and you're denying me, you know, what I'm there for half the time. So I, I didn't I
1: didn't like that. Tom really only did the the arrow through the Kevin Bacon's throat and the axe in the forehead. That was about it. Did he do the throat slash in the woods, the first girl.
0: I feel like he did really well with what he had to work with. Like, he, it was needed to look, you know, realistic, the, the damage. Like, when the girl had her throat slit in that first, you know, sequence, Whether she was running through the woods, that shit looked real.
1: Billy leaves Annie sleeping in order to fill the generator with gas. Annie wakes up and begins to make some disgusting instant coffee. Good God. Yeah, it looked nasty. Yeah. But leaves but leaves in search of Billy. She finds Billy nailed to the front door of the generator shack with arrows all over his body. It's
0: such a missed opportunity, man. I mean, they're at an archery range. There's a scene where one of the fucking idiot counselors shoots an arrow at one of the girl counselors being funny. Why not show a counselor being shot with an arrow?
2: Didn't that happen to Brenda?
0: It's right there. It's a fucking tee-up. No, it happens off. It happens off screen. It's a tee up. It's the fucking ball is sitting on a tee. Knock that shit out of the park. Cause bro. she was
2: the one who was fired at as a joke too, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be a good callback to that. However, you couldn't fucking do it for some reason.
1: Annie freaks out, runs back to her cabin, and barricades the door with every damn thing in the cabin.
0: She was doing, like, some expert-level shit, tying a rope to it. And then it's like, this ain't enough. She starts throwing a bunch of furniture in front of
2: it. She did all this Home Alone shit, and then she goes and closes the fucking curtains. I was like, okay, that'll
1: that'll reinforce those curtains. It didn't check any other part of the cabin before doing any of that. The body of Brenda is thrown through the window. However, Annie sees Steve's Jeep drive up and runs out to it for help. The person behind the wheel was not Steve, of course. It was Mrs. Voorhees. She acts as a friend to Annie and tells her the story of her son Jason's, not Josh's, death by drowning while a couple of camp counselors were making love. Well, she doesn't reveal the fact that
2: he's her son immediately, does she?
0: No, she has her little dramatic spiel about it. So young, so pretty.
1: Mrs. Voorhees has a flashback to Jason's gruesome death and attacks Annie. Annie runs through the camp, avoiding the, avoiding the running jeep. God, that drove me fucking baddie Trope, man. And finds the other dead bodies.
2: I got pissed off during this sequence, too, because at one point we have, uh, as she's running, one of the dead bodies suddenly just dangles in front of her. Straight up ripped out of Halloween, which, of course, was filmed or was shot, came out in 78. This was shot in 79. I understand that, but this was so fucking obvious and so on the nose, man. I was just so frustrated at this point. And the score, dude, this, if this score was not fucking psycho, pushed through some shitty eighty synthesizer, I don't know what is.
1: Mrs. Voorhees talks to Jason, and we learn that he is telling her to kill the camp counselors, and she assures him that she will kill Annie.
2: Obviously, it's a subversion of Norman Bates speaking as the mother. Yada, yada, yada. Psycho spoiler. Sorry, but more illusions that uh, did not click.
0: It's it's funny when you watch it. It's, it's really like they went out here and just cast a bunch of kids to play the counselors and actually got an actress to play the role of Pamela Voorhees.
1: So, at this point, Annie has ran by a perfectly fine running Jeep, and now we find her... In a shed with a shit ton of guns. Mrs. Voorhees shows up, and Annie just punches her in the face. No gun is used at all.
0: This woman is picking up dead bodies and throwing them through windows and shit, and this little 85-pound girl is kicking her ass at every turn.
2: The lady was taking bumps pretty well. It didn't look like any stunt work. I was pretty proud
1: of her.
0: Every time she was going down, it was like she was fucking dead. Like the way she would just throw her arms up and shit and her eyes and mouth would be open.
1: She was working for that car, Chris.
0: It was probably the jeep that she got. They just gave her the jeep, said fuck it.
1: Annie runs back to her original cabin, yet again, and hides in the pantry. Mrs. Voorhees shows up with a machete, and Annie hits her in the head with a frying pan. Yet again, she does not take the deadly weapon, the machete. Annie goes to the lakeshore and is yet again attacked by Mrs. Voorhees. Although this time, she uses the deadly weapon and decapitates Mrs. Voorhees with the machete. Pretty damn sharp blade. Did you get
0: Star Trek fight scene vibe from this? The way they were fighting each other and that music in the background?
1: It was sloppy as fuck, man. It must have been like the sharpest machete of all time because it cut her head clean off.
2: Lopped her ass up, bro. She barely bonds that (laughs) shit. And they used the slow motion here, which kind of, I don't know, felt a little awkward for me. I don't know if it was to just show you how hard she was swinging or maybe they filmed it her swinging it slow in slow
1: motion made it look more fierce, but it kind of seemed out of place. The last tidbit I can give you there is that was not... Alice's. No, sorry, this is Annie. Or this is this Al- This is Annie. That was not Annie's hand. That was Tom Savini's hand that uh, swung the machete in that scene. That's Alice. Alice, right? Who the fuck is Annie?
0: Annie's the uh, hot chick who was supposed to be the cook, who was like the hitchhiker?
1: Yep. So, audience, uh, every time you heard Annie, for the most part, <laughs> it should have been Alice.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Damn it, Hootie. Welcome kind
0: of to fucking, horrible uh, film school
1: wow okay Alice not Annie floats into the lake with no paddle I don't know where she was going until the sun rises the police finally show up and see her in the lake a little skinny bald boy pulls her under the water who I assume is Jason or Josh
0: X that out that's Josh what he's son um <laughs> I'm actually probably going to give the director credit for the first time in the whole movie during this uh, this shot. Um, the scene of Alice, like, drifting uh, across the uh, lake. It's a pretty beautiful shot and really puts the audience at ease. Uh, right before that water-headed Josh Voorhees pops up and pulls her down to the briny depths.
1: Water-headed. Water-headed. Well,
2: this was this was all you said, Tom Savini's idea, right? Or was it the director's yeah, idea? Yeah,
1: this is... This- See, at that this was point, not
0: at, in that the point script. at the point I wrote this, I thought it was the director. So I guess I need to take that back. Fuck you, Sean Cunningham.
1: It feels like Tom Savini should get credit for this film. Like, he made this film. The things I enjoyed about it, he definitely uh, seemed to be the, the key contributor. So the last piece of the movie, although it should have ended right there, is Alice wakes up in a hospital bed and asks the police officer if they found the boy. They tell her no. And she realizes that Jason is still there. So with that, fellas, from the original Friday the 13th, 1980, what piece of memorabilia are we taking home?
0: We all got the same shit, guaranteed. I guess I'll go first. Um, Give me Steven's jean shorts, bro. I've been looking for a piece of clothing that offers maximum flexibility and range of motion and I think I found it.
2: Hmm, I did not share that sentiment. That is a good pick though. Actually, uh I want to get Mama's sweater. Something about it, it just looks super fucking cozy. And I'm not sure why she's wearing it
1: in like the dead middle
2: of summer.
0: As long as you get those blood stains out, you're good to go.
1: And my piece to echo the song from the band Deuce. Is look at that girl with them Daisy Dukes on. Except this time, Just look at that guy with them Daisy Dukes on. It's Steve's Daisy Dukes for me. I think I should have went with Kevin Bacon's Speedo in retrospect.
0: Two out of three, that ain't bad.
1: So let's get into the Rotten Tomato fan reviews. Jacob F. says, "Admittedly scary, but it ain't nothing special. The later ones are much better." Three stars. And the last one for this week is from Dick D. Damn. Probably Kevin Bacon. Double <laughs> D, let's go. Let me write that down. That's my new fucking superhero name. He says, they kill a poor defenseless snake. Zero out of ten. Fuck this film. One star. Dick D is not about that real snake killer. All right?
0: Why even have Why even have a fucking scene where you see the snake getting killed You don't see half the actors getting killed in a goddamn movie. Why do you got to see the fucking snake getting killed?
1: So with that, let's wrap up this film. What did you guys think about this film with a horrible film school style letter grade?
0: I'm going to give the movie a solid C. Uh, I saw this movie as a kid, and the only scene I could even recall uh, when we decided to do the review is the... uh, Goonie Sloth Jr. looking motherfucker Josh Voorhees jumping out of the lake and dragging Alice into the water. I've never really thought much about the movie since then, thinking that, you know, if it didn't leave an impression on me then, it probably won't leave one on me now. However, with that said, I was actually surprised by how watchable the movie was. Yeah, it's a direct ripoff of Halloween, but I just love the realistic feel uh, of, of the kills and the settings, actually, pretty cool itself. Obviously, not my favorite entry to in the in the franchise. That actually goes to Jason Goes to Hell, but a decent watch, nonetheless.
2: Yeah. So for me, I gave it a C minus. I would usually lean towards leniency on the first entry in any horror franchise, especially if it's one of the big four. I'm talking about like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But damn, this has to be the worst one of those by far coming just like what two years after halloween and it ripped so much from it and from psycho i just did not get the homage feeling at all for me it was just more like a copy and paste i feel like i'm being nice but the c minus
1: but that's the best i can give it joy i think we uh somehow telepathically have the same notes 1980's Friday the 13th was needed in order to launch one of the most profitable, if not the most profitable, horror film franchise of all time. Although it didn't bring much originality to the genre, besides a few new ways to kill people, thanks to Tom Savini, the sequels did by creating a legit movie monster in Jason Voorhees. I would not recommend you watch this film. Just skip to part two in the franchise and continue from there. I give this film
2: a C. I'm sure the second one probably gives you the entire first one in two minutes or something. Like Road Warrior does for Mad Max. Hot take, you can skip Mad Max. Not a fan.
1: That is a very hot take. Chris Mad Max is great.
2: 30 seconds of Road Warrior took care of it for me. So, with our thoughts in the bag, let's uh, look back at our Rotten Tomato fan score guesses. This wasn't for a prize, since it was a uh, mandatory homework assignment for us all. I myself guessed a 67%, Hootie with a 64, Joey with a 70. All right there together. The audience score at the time of this recording is a 60.
0: Dun, 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 dun. Bow!
2: Alright, so with that in the books, we could say goodbye to Mama Voorhees, presumably. I'm not going to spoil what happens in the rest of the franchise. We'll pick back up with part two whenever we encounter our next Friday the 13th. I think we got one coming up in the spring, so it won't be too far out. Unfortunately, Mr. Ryan Hoodie is the reigning champion at the last audience fan score guest from Candyman. So, without further ado, can you let us know what the horrible film school... Horribles will be watching in the next couple weeks.
1: would like a moment of silence to soak this in, fellas, because this may not happen again for me. So before I give you the movie, let me give you my reasoning. I'm making the connection because it's summer. The sun is out. I live at the beach. All about the ocean. On top of that, I do love 80s creature films. And with all that being said, My pick is 1989's Leviathan.
0: Never seen it. I
2: don't think I've ever even heard of this. All right, folks, if you want to tag along, we're going to hit the pause button. We're going to hit up YouTube and try to find a trailer for 1989's Leviathan.
1: It was an experiment that tampered with nature's most basic laws it went terribly wrong it was buried five miles down now a crew of undersea miners is about to stumble upon this terrifying secret
0: It actually looked pretty decent I'm a sucker for creature movies uh, from any era of movie making so.
2: alright we just finished the trailer so you fellas want to take turns guessing that Rotten Tomatoes
1: user score 4 leviathan i'll start since i picked it and i'm gonna go with a 44
0: jesus christ fuck the second comment on youtube the second comment on youtube this movie is so awesome it's a total ripoff of the thing but it's still awesome i'll go 50
2: uh it looked pretty fucking cheesy but i'm gonna guess it's 60 Alrighty, folks. Thanks for listening. You could find us on damn near any podcast platform. Check out the socials and whatnot on the website horriblefilmschool dot com. Subscribe, follow, and review to spread the love. Apparently, the Apple Podcast reviews are a big deal. So if you can, leave us a review there. I'm gonna use this sign off to offer my support to yet another single mother coping with the loss of a child and dealing with all these ungodly horny teenagers
1: I'm going to sign off with watch out for them waterheads but seriously if you listen to the show tell at least one person you know about it if they haven't already heard spread the campaign and then after you do that watch 1989's Leviathan and then go for a dip and I'm out
0: yep just to harp on what the guys said we appreciate all the love and support Um, it means the world to us I love doing this. I think these guys love doing it too, and we just want to keep on doing it. So, any sort of feedback you guys give us, have at it, we can take it. We're big boys. Do yourself a favor go look up pictures of Kevin Bacon in a Speed Up. And with that, uh, good night. Goodbye. Till next time. Music.